Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So, um, uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, word came down uh, that uh, in the first counting of the rank choice ballots, the second counting of the rank choice ballots in the New York City mayoral Democratic primary rank choice five ballot system, that um, something extraordinary had happened that uh, Eric Adams, the former retired New York City cop, who uh, seemed to have prevailed on election night because he won 31% of the vote next to a progressive named Maya Wiley's getting 22% of the vote and a technocrat named Catherine Garcia getting about 19.5% of the vote, that the second counting of the ranked choicing counting of the preferences of the people's Suddenly, Adams is at 51%, and Garcia is at 48%. And that Garcia, because there are absentee ballots out that still have to be counted, and many of them, if not most of them, are from Manhattan, and Garcia won Manhattan, that that Garcia had suddenly become, having been in third place on election night, the odds-on favorite to win the uh, rank choice system method and become the next mayor of uh, New York City. Um, and uh, this was so shocking because this meant that, like, she had picked up 30 points uh, in this, or 29 points in this, somehow, this new reshuffled count. And and that's pretty, and it's like, oh, you see, that just proves rank choice voting is so interesting because it really can allow people to make alliances. Oh, Okay, so then, of course, what 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 turns out to be the case is that uh, 125,000 fake ballots were apparently counted. Like they, had, I don't know what it means that there were fake ballots. They may have had some fake ballots that they had lying around while they were testing the system, uh, so that they could count them. Doesn't really make any sense. But here's the great part about this. So uh, we now have no idea what is happening. Uh, there's no reason to think that this second ballot is, you know, uh, obviously dramatically. Uh, the minute that you have a shift like that, you got to say eh, something's wrong. I don't really understand. Anyway, dummy ballots. Okay, so uh, at they announced this result at two thirty. Every political analyst on Twitter is like, "Well, you've got to give the advantage to Garcia." You, oh, oh. And then at like four o'clock, Eric Adams's campaign tweeted the following out. He said, "There's something wrong here. There seem to be a hundred thousand more votes counted today than were counted on election night. At the mar- the number of votes has gone up by like one hundred twenty-five thousand, and they haven't counted the absentee ballots yet. So there's something wrong." Whereupon. Liberal Twitter, most of whom prefer Wiley to Adams because Wiley is more of a progressive, start saying, whoa, look who's Donald Trump now. You know, 
oh dear. And the the best example of it um, is uh, Ian Milheiser, uh, who is um, uh, a guy on Twitter, and I can't remember who he works Vox, for. Vox.com. He works for Vox. He's not the guy who said there was a bridge from Gaza to the West Bank. Because if you no. can believe it, he's actually stupider than that guy. I don't know how you have two people that stupid working for one news organization. His Twitter feed is a comedy, is a work of comedy genius and has been for a long time. Ian Milheiser, speaking for Prague, New York and Prague, America, said of the Eric Adams statement, this is some Donald Trump shit. And he was echoed by various other people. Well, the Board of Elections of New York City came out and said, uh, first they said, uh, we see a discrepancy. There's a dis- we understand that there is a discrepancy in the vote count. Please be patient. We would really appreciate it if voters and the candidates were patient. Then, mysteriously, without making an announcement, they removed the unofficial tally that they had released from their website and then an hour after that, sheepishly announced that, yes, there had been a, there were, there was a hundred, they counted 125,000 dummy votes, meaning they must have had ballots around that, that were dummy ballots that they had used in some test run and they had been put into the general pile somehow and had been counted along with the rest. And uh, so now we're, we're supposed to be patient with them. The other, uh, the final great detail is that the head of the Board of Elections uh, cheerfully apparently announced that um, uh, the count might be slowed down because um, even though uh, there is an election going on in which there is no result, most of the members of the Board of Elections will be on vac- vacation next week. So they're not going to be able to meet to certify anything or count anything or something like that. It's the perfect storm of bureaucratic incompetence and, you know, weird conspiracy mongering uh, by the left. Uh, it, it, it would be parody, but unfortunately the New York Board of Elections has had problems like this before. Yes, they're not great. Yeah, no, no. But- every, every election in the last, like, three cycles, there have been um, bizarre uh, ballot shortages, counting slowdowns, things like that. Um, that are uh, fascinating in their inc- and and the, apparently the incompetence is just layering over more incompetence. But here's the the other side to the this is some Donald Trump shit uh, line. Yeah. Um, this makes the Donald Trump stuff um, seem less crazy. I'm not I saying get- it is. By definition, but, yes. it makes it seem less crazy, no, right? No, because- we're all we're all having a really jolly time here with this sort of thing. But I, frankly, this is the banana republican of the United States. Precisely. Democracy is at risk. The fundaments of our our institutions, oh, our you're republic, no are crumbling. Where is you're the no justice fun. department? Where no where is the civil rights division? Why are we disenfranch we are disenfranchising the the citizens of the largest city in the country? This is a crisis of epic proportions. Get in the streets, America. Where is your outrage? Justice Department's too busy re- filing a lawsuit against the state of Georgia, which is is uh, also we should probably talk about at some point for its ineptitude. Yes. Okay. So first of all, this is a primary, not an election. So at, at, at the moment, uh, this is not you know. 
the threat to democracy uh, because this is not like a certified like whoever 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 wins this in theory is going to be the next mayor because the Democrats have a six to one advantage in registration in New York City, but it is still not the election itself. So that's the one. I don't know, that's the one sweetener in the in the in the scenario. But let let us let us discuss the differences between this and the our argument that, that massive voter fraud, uh, you know, won uh, Joe Biden the election and stole the election from Donald Trump. So far, no one here is alleging massive voter fraud. That is, there is actually a totally convincing explanation because it was offered cheapishly by the Board of Elections. For what happened, they had they had ballots sitting around that had been used in some test that somebody had put in the oh here are all the ballots pile, um, and uh, there's no way so so that's the unless Catherine Garcia is a mastermind and her campaign is a you know genius organization that had figured out how to play this game. Uh, probably if they knew that, they could have gotten her over the top, right? I mean, she was still 15,000 votes behind when all the counting was done. If you're going to do something that brazen, you might as well end up two or 3,000 votes ahead. Um, but uh, that, so no one as yet, as yet is alleging that there was anything untoward. So what you have, in fact, the theory of the Trump uh, election stolen is nefarious brilliance, nefarious communist conspiracy brilliance all over the place in states all across the country, some stuffing ballot boxes, some changing voting machine numbers, some, you know, using software developed in Colombia and Argentina and uh, switching the way the things count and all this. It is a conspiracy of... um, incredible technological advancement and uh, manipulation. And of course, what we have here is just a huge cock up. Uh, And and what is more believable when you're talking about these sorts of things and in terms of human nature, that you can manipulate results in three, at least three states, if not five, through massive, many, many different means, or that some idiot put a bunch of ballots in a pile. I, John, I totally agree with you. But nevertheless, if there can be such a, an instant huge cock-up whereby um, uh, 100,000 dummy ballots get, get counted, um, it's, it goes right to the idea that you can't have confidence in any of it, <clears throat> including the tallying and the recounting and the, and the confirming and, and whatever else. I can only imagine that <clears throat> Catherine Garcia got as many dummy ballots as Catherine, she did. Catherine Garcia. Catherine, I'm sorry, Garcia. Got, um, as many dummy ballots as she did because she was endorsed by the New York Times and is a very Manhattan-centric city. Um, but the shocking thing is that they did a test at all. They did a test. They tested this. And, we don't know. We don't and know. And this if was they the result. It. I mean, why else would there be dummy ballots if I not for to, to to run a test run? Of this system that failed so spectacularly. We don't know yet, and we don't really understand what happened. Um, But uh, we are told, by the way, that we will have new results today, June 30th. Uh, I will bet you uh, that that does not happen. Um, (laughs) So uh, I bet you that uh, we are not going to see results. And I I think that there is probably 
a 25% chance uh, that the primary will be run again. I'm not kidding. First of all, New York has a history of having primaries in September. This was the first mayoral primary in June. Um, There could really be a problem. Like if those ballots weren't segregated, the dummy ballots from the regular ballots, how on earth are they going to be able to sort through which ballots were dummy and which weren't, unless it says dummy on the, you know, stamped on the top of every ballot. Um, it, it, it is not conceivable that they, it, it, you know, unless they were properly segregated and run all together at once, and therefore you can pull them out, of maybe they weren't counted in one machine. I don't really even understand how they're going to be able to clean up the ballot counting once those once they were mixed and therefore there will be an election result or primary election result in which there is no confidence in the conclusion on anybody's part can we talk a little bit about the the way in which progressives fetishize reforming democratic institutions voting in particular and how we're supposed to have a much more european system that provides for more options and more choices. And like you said, coalition forming, and that's what ranked choice is supposed to provide as opposed to first past the poll. Um, And how much of a disaster it is everywhere it's tried compared to the system that we had before that worked, worked every time it's worked. And this is the argument the Democrats have made against Republicans that you're trying to, you know, your arguments are against a system that, that, that worked and you don't like the results, right? That's their argument. And it's not a bad argument. It's one I subscribe to. And yet at the same time, out of the same, the other side of their mouth, they say, oh, you know, this is all, it's, it's also uh, antediluvian. You know, this is the, we, we developed this, this idea in the, in the, in the 18th century and it hasn't really been reformed since. And you need to update this and modernize it and make it more European. And you're trying to fix a system that isn't broken. Well, and, you know, and to that point, that imagine if this this uh, debacle had happened in a red state, not a blue one, right? Imagine if this were Georgia, and a, the the, man, the the black front runner was somehow in you know suddenly because of you know whatever jujitsu was going on with ranked choice voting, looks like he might lose. All we would be hearing about from Democrats is this is systemic racism. This is, you know, all, all of the things that we have been hearing in Georgia, oh, we would be hearing now. So who's, who's being disenfranchised? Ah. Whose votes right. are being disenfranchised? Hold it. Hold it. This is even more interesting, though, because Eric Adams is an African-American. But he ran as a non-progressive. So right. now you have these interesting competing things, which is uh, Eric Adams went there in the statement that he made about the about the tally yesterday that there may be efforts going on here to deny people of color their you know proper place in winning winning the election not the first time he said that either no it wasn't that was he's been he's been critical of ranked choice voting yeah particularly because of its capacity to disenfranchise his voters right in brooklyn right uh, you know, and the outer boroughs. So and you know, not wrong. <laughs> you know, we keep hearing this, like, oh, rank choice voting. They do it in Maine. It's good. They've done it in uh, I don't know. There's like some city, some other cities. I don't know. You know, Port. I think maybe Portland, which is really a city you want to emulate. Um, I'm not quite sure where. 
Um, but we've had this year, we are the last uh, 18 months, we have had two examples of ranked choice voting disasters. This is not the first. The other was, if people remember, the Iowa Democratic Caucus, where which effectively had ranked choice voting, has always had a kind of weird ranked choice voting where people move, they caucus with one person and then that person has to drop out and they kind of ship, move across the room to be counted in the pile of other people who are then, where you know, they reallocate themselves physically in their bodies. They go across the room, the caucus room, and say they're with this guy. Uh, but if you remember, there were like three, you had three choices or something like that. And the Iowa, uh, this was, you know, the first race and the most important race in the history of mankind. And they didn't know what they were doing. And the and the vote tally was all screwed up and everybody got kind of uh, crazy. Um, and something similar happened in 2016 in the Republican caucus in Iowa. And we... As Noah indicates, we are being led to believe by weird election fetishists that this is the right way to go for the future. And if we don't look at this election in the largest city in the United States, a city of eight and a half million people, which probably makes it ranks it somewhere in the middle of the states of the union, if it were a state, if we don't look at this and say, we... It, we no more, no more of this nonsense. Like we got segregate, we got dummy ballots segregated. This no one knows what the hell is going on. There won't be a result after the election for a month. We are not doing this anymore. Um, you know, the <clears> one <throat> time, the one place in America where we know voting was fixed was Florida after two thousand. Like Florida, uh, you know, closes. Uh, we have results in Florida. Good which, fix, not like the fix right. is in fix. Right? No, no, fix, right. No, I mean, you know, what happened in 2016 and 2020, Florida's polls close, and there are results really fast. Whatever optical character reader they're using, whatever system they're using for the ballot. And this is a state where the polls close in two different Seven. times. Yeah, right, in two different, right. And it works great. And they had to because of the not just the national embarrassment and all of that, and they fixed it. And then, of course, there was also national voting money spent to fix our election systems. As a result, we're back to some weird thing where we have 17 different election systems, which is fine with me. It just doesn't seem to be fine with, you know, Democratic uh, lunatics and hysterics. Uh, or far right trump who trumpian people who are like oh we hire these private firms to do our counting one of them may be owned by an argentine communist right. you know it's like you know and they they have they but have, I, and they <clears throat> borrowed and by the way the trumpy guys uh when they talked about how the machines are being manipulated where did they get the idea for how the machines are being manipulated from a will ferrell movie from the movie The Campaign with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, which showed the Mach, meaning Coke, brothers' voting machine switching the tally by somebody pressing a button somewhere on the back of a machine. That is where this idea came from. They because it's all invented. It's all a you know. It's all a, a narrative fiction. How it would have worked, um, 
And I wish we had more updates on, you know, how much money Dominion Voting Systems is going to get from everybody that it sued uh, for defamation, because it's going to be a lot. And Fox News is not out of the woods on this in any way, shape or form. Anyway. But, John, I I can't believe we've not yet discussed this in terms of your sort of favorite point, which is which is the vanishing competency as far as the eye can see. Nothing works. Yeah. On, Oscars, on any, Oscars, especially yeah. on the large scales. Yeah. Oscars are miscounted, right? The Oscar ballots and people read out the wrong result and all that stuff. Yeah. This is my, the year Y2K happened that we're actually living in the bad Y2K. There's a good Y2K in another alternate universe. And that one of the hallmarks of this is that in fact, the systems did all break down and we're now 20, you know, two decades into living where all the systems broke down leading to the financial crisis and, you know, 10,000, 10,000 other things. That's my, that's my uh, metaphorical thing. Of course, the weirdness of this is that this all comes when um, people, uh, people place more trust in machine-led institutions or machine-led things uh, than they ever have, and they they take for granted that things are fine. Newt Gingrich once said this thing. He said, you knew the world had changed forever when uh, people stopped, uh, when people said it was okay for you to direct deposit your check into your bank account, or when you fed a deposit a check for deposit into the slot of an ATM machine that this actually took a leap of, uh, you know, some kind of leap of faith or leap of cognizance uh, to say that some process was happening that did not require a human being stamping something and entering it by hand into something to make sure that your money was there. In fact, you trusted the machine more then you would trust that person. So in a weird, and of course, but behind all those machines are people who are programming them, who are, who are running them, who are, and uh, we, we now accept a, a level of, com- or we expect a level of competency in the kind of m- administration of our daily lives that no one ever expected before. And we get it for the most part. I mean, it's not like every five minutes you're like, oh my God, my bank balance is off or, what happened to that money that I put in my bank? It doesn't happen. Like it is actually a system that works. The problem is that people stink. The problem is that you can't trust anything that involves people doing anything. That seems to be that that human competence, day-to-day human competence in the administration of tasks, particularly in the kind of like white-collar mid white collar level you know sort of like the the people who they're not they're not you know physical workers but they're you know they're sort of like college educated workers at the mid level you can't trust that they know what they're doing i mean that's that's i think the interesting yeah but when they make a mistake the transparency of the mistake or the bungle is usually obvious enough that or you can trace it back to you know a group of people or a particular bureaucracy or some some error in judgment uh it, the problem with putting our trust in the so-called objectivity of the machines and, and the algorithms is that it's much harder to pinpoint when something goes wrong um, and to fix it. Because to, to re-engineer backwards in that way is becoming more and more difficult. If you read any books on machine learning, it, it starts to become 
right. rather unnerving when you think well, about well, what sure. if something happened yeah. here, but now we're way up here. I mean, sometimes that's true. But again, like let's say your deposit was miscredited or something like that. You you call up the helpline, and if they're you know, and you you get a really really nice person in Bangalore, and they can actually trace it back and say, right. well, you did this on on, on June eighteenth. Ninety percent of the time, as with all such things, you're the you're the guilty party. Right, right, but if you're up for parole and an algorithm spits out a report that says you're likely to reoffend, so you're not going to get parole, and you want to you want to combat that judgment, how do right. you do that? That's, oh, well, that, right. Well, things. that's right. <laughs> Right. So, but that, that's an interesting thing because that's where, right. That's where you start surrendering subjective. I'm not, now I'm talking about, so that's surrendering object, subjective calls to machines. I'm now talking here about objective things that human beings have to do, like add up numbers, tally ballots, all of this, you know, do whatever. And yeah, in, in a weird way. And again, I don't think this is true of like, you know, people who actually work with their hands because of course if you're the sort of person who you know works on a construction site or you you know whatever your own physical safety is at risk at every moment and so competence is a kind of base value or you know base thing because you are you need to protect yourself and others not falling into a combine, you know, or like drilling into your hand or something like that. But these are like, these are versions of this kind of thought worker stuff where people drill, you know, into their hands, you know, uh, and, and this does, does, does seem to be happening. Although I, I will say not to keep being uh, annoying about this, but the, but the trust issues about those kinds of objective uh, responsibilities happen on the margins. It's the hanging chat in Florida. It's the spoiled ballot and a human being has to determine what the intent of the voter was. So it, that's actually what, and we tend to focus on those when they happen. Um, we certainly did in the last election, you know, which ballots count. And if there's any ambiguity, we turn to human beings to make those judgments. And actually, I think there's a lot more distrust inherent in that because we're so habituated to having the objective machine counted for us. Most but that, that was the horror of the Florida recount, in my view, which is that there was this notion, right, that you take these, that this ballot had been badly designed, the chads weren't falling off. So in every previous election in human history, let's say, where stuff like this happens, and you do have like an independent body of people who are trying to figure out what happened, you would just toss that, but you would say, we can't, there's no, you can't, it, determining the intent of a, of a voter from a card is impossible. And I, I, you know, we are not magicians or mind readers or anything like that. We are just human beings. That's a spoiled ballot. It's too bad. But, you know, the odds are in a very close election that that ballot could just as easily go either way. And therefore, you know, you it's not you're not privileging one side or the other, which is really, really the issue. You're just eliminating it from the count. And watching those guys in Florida in that room with the magnifying glass trying to figure out which of the two Chads was the one that had been punched out the farthest, that's where you said, you know, this way lie or to me, I said this way lies madness. Like you cannot the whole point of elections is not to try to determine the intent of the voter. The ballot is the intent of the voter. If the voter screws up the ballot, the vote doesn't count anymore. You can say that's the fault of the designer of the ballot or not, but if 95% of the ballots were executed properly and 5% weren't, 
you can't say it was the ballot's fault. I'm sorry. Like, that's not the way if all of the ballots were screwed up, which is where we are now maybe in the New York City mm-hmm. mayoral, Democratic mayoral primary. That's where you have the crisis. Um, and I think it's a, just a, a, a very you know interesting moment. We should get back to this competence question. But before we do, I need to ask you, I think one of the reasons people may be less competent is that their back hurts and they're sitting badly. And that's because they're in bad office chairs. That's why I'm talking to you about the ex-chair again. Because can that, your office chair, you know, uh, voter counter, uh, can, uh, can that give you a massage while you're sitting at your desk? Mine can. Can your office chair warm your back on cold mornings or cool you off on hot days? Mine can. I have an X chair. I've never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing. Honestly, it's so comfortable. I can sit for hours, never feel uncomfortable. It's that dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable support to your lower back. And now they're introducing LMAX featuring cooling heat and massage therapy directly to your core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home or the office a joy. LMAX even offers four different massage modes for therapy for your sore back and fast warming heat. You won't believe the X chair difference until you feel it. And the prices are going up on July 11th for the first time in two years. So beat the X chair price increase. Go to X chair commentary now. Dot com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR to save $100 off your order. X chair is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free XWheel Blade Casters. Xchaircommentary.com. Um so here's the thing, like uh so the 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 Trump election conspiracy people are going ho 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 ha ha ha. But as I say, I think these are two wildly uh, almost polar opposite arguments going on which is that you know one thing you'd say is like red 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 uh, blue state uh, cities uh, suck uh, they 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 they're managed badly and you know the the great um the great delusion among democrats and liberals is that uh, because they believe in science and they're also educated and everybody else is so stupid that they're that they're incredibly competent. They're just so competent. They know how to do things. They know they know how to get things done. And uh, and you know uh, Republicans uh, you know hate government. They don't know how to get anything done. And they're all you know they're all like speaking in tongues and 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 talking to snakes and uh, you know buying buying guns. And they don't know anything. And they don't know how to do anything. And um, in fact, uh, you know the red state blue state model story continues to be a story in which. Elementary acts of governance and governmental responsibility uh, go increasingly bad, are, are, are performed, executed, and 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 uh, work uh, much worse, and they keep w- working much worse. And of course, the ultimate example of this is what happened with the schools, where you deliberately had a public workforce essentially staging a brownout, you know, staging a walkout uh, on the grounds of safety, uh, thus. Um, uh, destroying the educational uh, needs and requirements of uh, 65 million American children for their own uh, benefit. Um, how much longer now, can I, this go on? I mean, honestly, the elementary example here is is California. So y- yesterday, um, or two days ago, news you know came across the wire that California had banned 
government officials from traveling to Florida, among other states. And my instinct there was to say, okay, well, this is COVID related, presumably, and clearly political, but the stats don't make any sense because California's case rate is, everybody's case rate is low. California's is going up, Florida's going down, didn't make a lot of sense. I had misjudged the issue. Um, California had banned travel to Florida and a few other states over policies relating to the LGBT community, uh, something along the lines of it being discriminatory, what have you. Um, but then when I, you know, examined this deeper, it turned out that California, that Florida was just the 17th state that California officials can't travel to. Fully one third of the union, California government officials are barred from going to. Uh, this is extraordinarily unhealthy for a functioning republic, first of all. And second of all, this is a state that can't provide power to its residents. It has policies of rolling blackouts. Donald Trump got a lot of criticism for talking about forestry management in California. Oh, these fires, you know, the, the, the forestry management is just is, is, is terrible. And oh, well, you know, the universe came down around his shoulders. But he was right. He's been right. The state does not do proper forestry management. As a result, it has horrific fires on an annual basis. It has terrible problems putting people into housing because you can't build housing. Everybody's talking about density. Oh, you need density. You need to build you know, apartments on top of each other. That's how we get people into, into homes. Um, but this is a, a, a total misunderstanding of what the, the problem is with regard to getting people in, into, into housing. It goes on and on and on. Eight, I think it was... I'm looking up the figure right now. 1,800 companies left California in 2019. We're not talking about the pandemic. In 2019, they're running away from this state. The tax base is fleeing. And what are other states doing? What are red states doing? They're not banning travel to California. They're sending state representatives over there to entice businesses to leave. And they're having wild success at it. I don't understand where the, the logic comes from that suggests that the blue state model is functional because everywhere you look, people are running away from it in droves. Because their classmates are all the people who are running these departments. What, what, what do you mean? I mean, the story is if you look at government, both at the state, local, and federal level, um, people who go in and start doing things like running, uh, the, you know, departments of state governments, local governments. They go to conferences with the people who write about them. They they went to school with them. They do this. They do that, and uh, and they all share uh, various ideological biases. Uh, but one of the great ideological biases is that they are standing there as a bulwark against this um, against the yahoos who don't know how to do anything, and they know how to they know how to do things and. Uh, and uh, hey, you know that's why let's try rank let's do rank choice voting because I you know I, I I did a paper on this in high school uh and you know they do it in in they do it in Tanzania and it's it's really you know studies show that it works really great you know one of the you know the famous line that we uh, conservatives always like to you know cite is this Orwell line that. Uh, I'm now going to paraphrase because no one can ever remember the actual quote, but you know, some ideas are so stupid, only an intellectual would believe them. So that's the version of that. That's where the rubber met the road during the pandemic, where the uh, only an intellectual could believe that everybody needed to stay uh, indoors, except when you were protesting uh, white supremacy. 
you needed to stay indoors to save uh, people from dying from a mass pandemic, uh, except that white supremacy was so important that you could go outdoors to do that. Now, we can all say that's racism as a public health epidemic. Right, but we can all sort of thing that you can intellectualize yourself into believing. Exactly. So we look at it, we say, oh, they're hypocrites and there's something like that. They're not actually. Uh, they are in the grips of, and they are in the grips of an ideological delusion. And the ultimate blue state, red state, Obama, whatever you want to call it, delusion um, is that is the is is the delusion about what you might call social science expertise. That um, that uh, obviously you need expertise in all things. You need an expert who knows how to fix a dishwasher to come and fix your dishwasher uh, or, you know, a plumber who understands plumbing systems to fix your plumbing. If you start doing it and you really don't know what you're doing, you could make things 10 times worse. You need an expert to fly your plane. You need an expert to help build your car. You need an expert who understands how buildings work so that, you know, they, they expand and contract in heat or with wind or something like that. So the windows don't shut. There's all kinds of things you need expertise for in the proper administration of the world. Maybe where, but where they where where the classic progressive delusion is that you can apply those standards to things that involve the irrational, complex, infinitely complex behavior of human beings. And my two favorite examples of this involve both the Clinton healthcare and the Obama healthcare. So if you remember, one of the reasons that Clinton's healthcare program came totally apart uh, in, in 93, 94 was when they released the chart that Ira Magazine or Hillary Clinton's healthcare specialist had designed to show how the Clinton healthcare system would work. And it looked like a Rube Goldberg machine. I mean, it looked, it was this hilarious, infinitely cut with arrows here, the boxes. And, you know, you looked at it and you said, what are you crazy? crazy like you just released the very document that is going to destroy your own you think that this is co- coherent comprehensible credible and can be understood by voters you people you know it's like you are pennywise and pound foolish you are um schematically brilliant and uh emotionally and uh, you know stupid and that's one and the other of course was obamacare we spent 3 years in obamacare 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 and the website crashes Web, you know, that was that the whole point here is the one thing you should be able to do right is have a website function. You know, everybody on Silicon Valley, every is a Democrat. You could have had a functioning website. But guess what? It's government, not Silicon Valley. So you don't have a functioning website. If you'd hired a hardcore porn film district, you know, like uh, online film distributor to design the Obamacare website, it would have worked. Because that guy needs his website to work to make money. With some questionable pop-up ads. I mean, we really don't Yeah, well, absolutely. But I'm just saying, like, but, you know, take the Kennedy School is not going to design a website that can handle the traffic. And so, yeah. But to that point, there, there's another thing, and this speaks to what, what also what Noah was saying earlier about California. There are there are concentrated places. We have one here just outside D.C. in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland, very very liberal red area. Um, but if you look at the top employers in that county, almost all of them are state 
local or federal government. So there's a sense in which it's not just, you know, when, when, when people scream and yell about socialism, one of the things they forget is actually a lot of people work for the state. They rely on the state for, for their income. There's a weird sort of relationship that people start to have with the state when even when it's incompetent because they have skin in the game that's where they still get their paycheck no matter no matter that their garbage isn't getting picked up and the cops are all resigning right if you work for the government at the state local or federal level there you have a different relationship with the state in terms of how you understand the incompetence we're talking about and and there's a populist refrain that you know why can't we just make the government run like a business you know businesses work Government should be streamlined to the extent that it can run like a top-down corporation. This was you know, part of the logic that led to the Trump presidency. And anybody who's ever worked anywhere near government, state, local, federal, municipal, understands the extent to which it is designed to thwart anybody who wants to streamline this process. Um, and for ostensibly sensible reasons, oversight, checks and balances, what have you. But there's never going to be a time in which any government operates like a top-down functioning corporation uh, in part because of the, the, the mechanisms that we've made to, to make it accountable to the public, which render it incompetent. It's sort of designed to be incompetent and there's value to that in, in, in a sort of perverse way. But when you do need it to function in, in an emergency fashion, for example, or even just core basic daily functions, you should count on incompetence as as the rule, and not because these people who are running it are necessarily incompetent, but because the structures that they're navigating are unnavigable. And they're often also incompetent because <laughs> no, because sure. because they people don't rise in these systems due to their competence. Now, you can say this is true of corporate America also. So, you know, it's, again, the human nature question. You know, it's like, uh, why why does the colorless, you know, what is sort of like a, a you know, the 60, so what is like a, a, a secretary who could do anything, uh, never get anywhere, uh, while uh, a doofus uh, who played, you know, who played uh, left tackle at Michigan State ends up as the executive vice president of the company, even though he can barely read. It's like, because... People like to want to say, let's talk about the big game, you know, and, uh, you know, he slaps their back and is, you know, all of that. Like, this is not a, this is not a thing that is just, you know, exclusive to, to government, but the incentive structures of the government do not say, oh my God, the most competent person can rise. And what happens now, particularly now that we are going explicitly into sort of quotas, tokenism, and, you know, uh, that job needs to be filled by a, you know, by a, a black lesbian, um, competence is the opposite of what you're looking for. You're looking for a person who represent is representative of a population, and that is the key. And the competence comes second or third. It's not, you know, or you say, well, in in the in the white supremacist era, just like the example that I use, the doofus football player gets the job. So in our era, so a black lesbian gets a job for being a black lesbian. Fine. Like, you know, uh, the same thing. It's all the same thing. Um, and but, you know, when you are in when the when the rubber meets the road and you have a crisis um, that, you know, that then, of course, that's where, you know, these moments hit and you're like, uh, oh, my God, government doesn't work. It's like, well, it, as Noah says, government is not designed to work. Um 
that's part of the problem. And when you say you want to run it like a business, you can't run it like a business because businesses have an incentive that governments don't have, which is that run them really well and the people at the top get rich and therefore they have an incentive to make sure that everything runs well at every level below them because someone is going to interfere with their capacity or ability to get rich if they screw up. And so you then reward them or you punish, you know, whatever. You reward competence, you punish incompetence, you do whatever you can under those under those systems. And that's just not the way um, government works. And I think, especially, you know, a lot of people, yeah. Especially because if you work in government, you can still get rich outside of government without being competent. Right. No, exactly. And and so um, I think the funny part is conservatives have long understood this. I mean, you know, we don't like high taxes, we don't like this, and we don't like that. But one of the reasons that conservatives constantly lean in on self-reliance and, you know, doing things for yourself and not is like, we accept the fact that you're not going to get the help from government that you want. So you need to set up the systems under which you can function or your community can function, whatever, in a crisis beforehand, simply because you take it as a given that when you, you know, if there's a flood, uh, you, you know, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to stock up in your basement with, with stuff because FEMA's not going to get to you in time. As opposed to people saying they're saying, "Where's FEMA? What? What? Why hasn't? Why isn't FEMA coming?" If your whole worldview accepts the notion that you can't really rely on these institutions of government, you well, better be self-reliant. This is interesting because everybody laughs at the conservative preppers, right? Until an earthquake hits, and they're the only ones who have any way of surviving. Everybody laughed at the conservative Christian homeschoolers until the public school system collapsed during a pandemic and they realized, wow, these people are still able to educate their children while we're flailing because of the teachers unions. So there is a weird sort of, the, the, the crises that occur often reveal what is seen as weird and extremist and conservative as actually functioning and self-reliant in a way that we have take we take for granted in a modern world right but right. if the electrical grid goes out you better have a prepper neighbor who's got a generator and or knows how to hunt like this is a good thing to have in your life not a scary thing right so um you know this question of what government does uh, to us and government does to the economy and uh and how we're supposed to function in this um highly complicated uh, interplay between government and the economy and its control and the economy's control and all of that is the subject of David Bonson's daily newsletter, dividendcafe.com, which I commend to you as I as I continue to do, comes out, you know, sort of around 6 p.m. Eastern, um, gives you a sense of what happened in the markets during the day, and then gets starts digging into the policy implications of the moves by government officials. And uh, and the ways in which I would say uh, private industry navigates the behavior of public officials and tries to figure out how to do what it, they need to do best uh, by either avoiding or harnessing or uh, or corrupting or manipulating the very governments that are I- interfering with the free market functioning that is the best way for uh, everybody to uh, prosper. Um, that's DividendCafe.com from the Bonson Group, a $3 billion bicoastal management services firm. 
run by my friend David Bonson, dividendcafe.com, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. Um, Christine, uh, Ilhan Omar, the um, congresswoman from Minneapolis, uh, went on Jake Tapper's show last night after one of her latest disgusting, uh, you know, after her uh, anti-Semitic rant uh, three or four weeks ago uh, relating to Gaza and the Israeli uh, moves against the rockets coming from Gaza. What, what happened there? Well, she was, she was asked whether she regretted uh, her remarks that compared Israel and the United States to the Taliban uh, and Hamas. And she said, no, flat out, no, she didn't regret it. So clearly her, her, uh, her, in her own mind, everybody else just misinterpreted her, right? And of course, she's always given the benefit of the doubt. Oh, you just misrepresented what she said. You misheard what she said. But it was the remark she made after that. And, you know, kudos to Jake Tapper to really, for really pressing her on this. Um, he asked about the Jewish colleague, her Jewish colleagues in Congress who had criticized her. And as we remember, they they initially, some of them wanted to have a pretty firm criticism. They ended up making it, you know, basically like, could you please clarify? So it wasn't even that firm a criticism. And her response was this, they haven't been partners in justice. They haven't been, you know, equally engaging in seeking justice around the world. So forget about doubling down on her own uh, misbegotten remarks. She's attacking the colleagues who expressed their concern about her comparing uh, the United States to, and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban, totally doubling down. Why? As we know with her, I mean, she's like the Homer Simpson, Homer Simpson in the nuclear uh, facility that has you know zero days since last accident. She's like zero days since last anti-Semitic uh, hint, remark, statement. She gets away with it because she knows she can. The leadership won't say anything. It'll be the same thing going round and round. She is, uh, she's sending signals to her constituents that this is okay. Uh, it, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and and people shouldn't become numb to it because she's going to keep doing it. Uh, and and really the leadership should do some. And I will say this the same day, we have crazy uh, representative Gosar on the right, turns out hanging out with, you know, white nationalists and white supremacists at fundraisers. So this is not just a problem on the left, but Elon Omar in particular continues to just flout any sort of a sense of obligation to be careful about what she says and to be thoughtful about her colleagues who have who have over and over again given her the benefit of the doubt. Do not give this woman the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned Paul Gosar because he is a monster. He is a disaster. He is a repulsive, repugnant, disgusting person. And it would be great if the Republican leadership would um, would uh, do to him uh, what they did to Steve King. Um, that yes. that would be a good thing. But I want to read also the follow up. What happened after she said what she said on Jake Tapper? She said it on on Jake Tapper. And then she went on Twitter after all the criticism and said this. It's their mission. Oh, excuse me. David uh, Ciceline, the uh, Democratic representative from Rhode Island, um, defended her, goes on and defends her, okay, on uh, after her appearance and says... There they go again. Right-wingers in Washington are once again claiming Ilhan Omar said something she didn't say and trying to create a controversy where there is none. It is pathetic that they are once again demonizing a young woman of color to score political points. 
I like the young woman of color thing since I think she's 42. So, you know, I mean, I'm, does that, you know, now, Man, now I'm that, a teenager. That, by yeah. That yeah. Yeah. You're a, you're a, yeah, you're a, you're Gidget. And so, you know, uh, here's what she said then on top of his quote. Okay. It's their mission to turn and twist everything I say until I am completely silenced. Demonizing voices for justice is part of their playbook and it won't work here. I'm grateful to colleagues like you, who are my partners in our fight for justice and equality at home and abroad. David Cicilline, of course, not being a Jew. So therefore, he can be a partner in her fight. Um, uh, Until I am completely silenced, says Ilhan Omar. This is the other bizarre shtick um, that uh, somebody says X... And then people say, what? What did you say? And she's like, you're silencing me. Um, who's silencing her? Who has ever silenced her? She went on Jake. She could have said, I'm not going on Jake Tapper. She went on Jake Tapper. She said something. People reacted with horror. So this is a trick of language. This is a, this is a, a game that she, a, a, a an anti-Semitic, provocateur, anti-American person who should fall on her knees every day and thank God that she managed to get out of the hellhole that was Somalia, come to the United States and end up 30 years later as a leader of the people of the United States in the U.S. Congress, that she should be celebrating this country and celebrating what's more, uh, the the Jews who came before her, who opened a lot of the doors, and forced open a lot of the doors that made it possible for for immigrants like her uh, to uh, pr- to take leadership roles in the United States, because those immigrants came in and said, "We're not going to be satisfied." with just scraps at the table. We want a full participation. Immigrants. I'm not not talking about her being black. I'm talking about her being an immigrant. Uh, Does she fall on her knees and thank God for America? Does she, does she thank her her predecessors among immigrants, including Jews for opening doors that made it possible for her to be a congressman? No, she attacks them. She insults them. She degrades them. And she brings us, uh, you know, she, she uh, creates a, nauseating confrontation between uh non-Jews and Jews uh that is you know frankly evil it's an it's a it's an evil that she does she is an evil person and she is doing evil and the people who defend her like David Cicilline are therefore complicit in her evil all true and not to be outdone uh Rashida Tlaib only about 5 days ago She tweeted a uh, New York Times story about uh, Israeli missile strikes in Gaza and wrote, uh, added to to, to her tweet, because Israel believes Palestinians are disposable, less human, period. They are committing war crimes paid for by U.S. taxpayers with no accountability. The apartheid and killing must stop. So it's a great example that tweet because it's sort of all in there the whole the whole anti-semitic um constellation you know is israel unlike every other country goes to war because of a because it because it considers 
uh, Palestinians less human and disposable. It goes, it goes, it kills out of out of sheer, you know, sort of bloodlust, um, or out of uh, a lack of humanity. Um, and of course, it's who's who's paying for these for these for this these Jewish this Jewish bloodlust uh, U.S. taxpayers. Presumably, and we should add that the yeah. Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies <clears throat> conducted a, a study of the 11-day conflict and found that fully 36% of Gaza ro- rockets fired into Israel from Gaza landed inside Gaza, which is a very densely populated place. A lot of them ended up in, in highly populated places and killed Gazans. And it's a shock that you don't hear anybody who who you know constantly demonizes Israel talk about the indiscriminate nature of this fire killing Palestinians. You know, it's it's it should be something that you would think they would speak up about if their concern was for Palestinian lives. I also want to just go back to the silencing thing because you know. If I had, if I could wave a wand and silence Ilhan Omar, I would. Like, if I had the magic power to silence Ilhan Omar, I would. You know why? Because because she puts my children's lives at risk. That's why. And I would love to silence her, but I live in the United States of America, and we don't do that. And once again, there's another reason why she should fall to her knees, because she can spout her disgusting bile that puts my kids' lives at risk. Um, she can spout it because she lives here. And so, you know, uh, and uh, her freedom to speak is no different from my freedom to speak. In fact, she has a much larger microphone, megaphone than I do, because obviously she is a member of Congress. And I am... But you know what? This sort of thing puts puts Democrats in a, in a difficult position. They, they, they find a way to rationalize their way around it. Once again, back to the intellectuals of intellectualizing their way out of problems. Um, but with the exception of people like the, you know, at the ADL, um, which is, has become an, an organization like the ACLU, which is not no longer dedicated to its ostensible mission. Um, you yeah, know, people everybody should read, off. everybody should read yeah. Seth Mandel's piece on the um, uh, anti-defamation league and it's craven leader, Jonathan Greenblatt in the July, August issue of commentary. Um, but then people start to fall off the, the wagon with this sort of thing. Every every time she has one of these controversies, then you have another organization or another group that, and another individual who's been just giving the benefit of the doubt over and over and over again. And another one of them falls off the wagon and says, yeah, I can't support this anymore. There's there's no excuse for this. It's not. It's no longer just, you know, happenstance or a mistake or something we can educate her way out of. This is This is a habit and it's repugnant and I'm out. Well, she papered over the last one by by forcing the hand of her colleagues to not just condemn her anti-Semitism individually, but to say, oh, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. When Jews are being beaten on the streets of major American cities, we still had to condemn Islamophobia as well as anti-Semitism. It couldn't just be the anti-Semitism that we condemn. But this time, I, I what I think is, is interesting about her statement uh, yesterday is her use of the language of justice. Because now it's you have to be my partner in justice. So she she wants to co-opt the language of justice. Now, if you're a social justice warrior on the left, and using your you know that the moral language of justice now has to include uh, 
covering Elon Omar's anti-Semitism. Yeah, I agree, John. That's a choice you're going to, that they are going to have to make. And this is the, in, in broader, in a broader sense, this is the problem that the left faces with its progressive activist class, many of whom are now also elected officials. So that, that's a problem. It's a problem. And too many of them are making the wrong choice and not speaking out. Uh, and, and I, and I think the Democrats who, who previously criticized her should say something about this too. Just like I think Republicans should say something about their crazy right wingers and racists in their party too. Yeah. Your concern about justice, the world's oldest and most lingering and deepest, uh, and most destructive injustice over the course of, of human history is anti-Semitism. So you cannot claim to be somebody seeking justice if you're an anti-Semite. You are, a participant in the world's oldest injustice. Um, now to switch to a uh, to, to make a weird transition, I got to talk to you about Tommy John underwear. It's a weird transition because I was just talking about the world's oldest injustice. Let me talk about the world's newest comfort. That is Apollo, Tommy John's newest and most advanced men's underwear yet with a performance-grade dry-release fabric blend that is exclusive to jo- Tommy John It's latest comfort innovation. You can't get it anywhere else. Apollo men's underwear is proven to keep you drier and up to seven degrees cooler than regular cotton underwear. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. It has fanatics. Apollo underwear is soft, supportive, stretches for the perfect fit every day, and is available up to size four extra large. With over 50 million pairs sold, men across America love Tommy John underwear because there's no more flopping, sticking, or chafing. And like all Tommy John underwear, Apollo comes with the best pair you'll ever wear. It's free guarantee. Tommy John's new Apollo men's underwear is high-end for your rear end, and you can't get that anywhere else. Right now, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash commentary. Go to TommyJohn.com slash commentary for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash commentary. See site for details um hang on uh, just for the sake of being as up-to-date as possible seven minutes ago yes jonathan greenblatt yes. the adl spoke out on uh, miss omar uh quote to accuse jewish members of not being involved in justice is ignorant of the records and especially offensive when it's an effort to distract from our own anti from your own anti-Semitic statements. Rep- Representative Omar needs to lead with an account with accountability, not denial. Definitely not blaming the victim. Um, How big of good it? enough? But not we should enough. add well, not, not not good enough. But we should add that what he's who he's defending here are Democrats. Right. He's talking about Jewish Democratic members. Those are the only people. Who's who in in the Democratic Caucus who have spoken out against this sort of thing? Uh, it's not good enough. Sorry, because uh, you need to lead with accountability. How about you need to resign? How about you need to resign? How about how about she needs to be censored? Censured? How about she needs, she to, needs be to be censured? She post? needs to resign. Uh, she needs to apologize. She needs to stop being an anti-Semite. Jonathan Greenblatt is a disgrace. He is. He is. Uh, he is creating a new low standard for uh, communal leadership in the Jewish community, a community I didn't actually think based on, uh, you know, my my six decades of life, you could have leaders as bad, you know, could have leaders worse than some of the other leaders whom he has now superseded, and I was wrong. And I, every day that passes, when he tries to make a tough statement, it reveals its own hollowness. He's a disgrace. Um, and with that... Uh, let me just ask you, so we end on a higher note, anybody have any good, fun plans for the 4th of July? 
Nobody's got fun plans. Like, you going anywhere? <laughs> I'll, I'll you doing he, anything? I'll, I'll be with friends out east. That That's good and fun. He's a friends out east. No masks. Okay. That's out east, meaning uh, the eastern tip of Long Island. Right. Christine. Uh, I'm I'm stick I'm staying here in DC. Gonna have like cookout with neighbors and friends. Just typical low key Fourth of July. Looking forward to it. Noah. Well, I will be away next week. I have very mixed emotions about it. Uh, Noah will be away. <laughs> so do oh, we. By the way, yes. <laughs> so do we. Yes. Noah will be away next week. Uh, by the way, we will not. I mean, we're we're doing shows tomorrow and Friday, but we will not. We will not have a. We will not have a podcast next Monday. Uh, which I will remind you of probably on Friday, but we will be taking that um, as our as our holiday. Um, I will also be out east, so maybe uh, you know um, Abe and I will you know run you know we'll run into each other at Bookhampton. <laughs> I don't know. Won't that be civilized? Very civilized, very civilized. Um, anyway, uh, so thanks a lot, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.